0: Good morning, everyone. If you could uh, please uh, return to your seats and prepare for the reading of God's word. If you're using a pew Bible, it will be on page, start on page 839. And we'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, for our ability to be here, to share it this morning, to learn from what you have for us, to have our ears open, that we can hear what you want us to hear today. And we ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole crowd beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing the yield thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was done, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables and he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of god but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn against excuse me lest, lest lest they should turn again and be forgiven and he said to them Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower of the word. And these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word in which is sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon the rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no roots in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation and persecution arise, and account one sown among the thorns. Then they those who hear the word but the cares of the world and delight in riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful but those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold
1: The central message of the Bible is the Gospel. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. He gave Him as a sin substitute. All of us, every single one of us, has fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfectly just, and He always executes His justice perfectly. And all of us are deserving of eternal justice, but instead of receiving eternal justice and His grace and His mercy and His love. He sent His Son to die in our place as a sin substitute. He was raised on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And when we repent and believe in Him, we receive eternal life and joy in this life. It's a central message of the Bible, and it's the message that we are called to live out and to share with others. One of the most discouraging things for Christians at times are when loved ones, whether it's a family member, a friend, a coworker— worker uh, hears the gospel, whether it's from us or whether it's from someone else, and they, and they reject it. Or they hear the gospel and they get all excited and they begin to pursue Christ. And then some days pass or some weeks pass or some months pass or some years pass, or even some decades pass. And then they, they fall away from the Lord, and they live as though He doesn't exist. This is one of the most discouraging things for us as Christians when we see this happening. Are you with me? The good news is, in today's passage, we're going to get some, some hope. We're going to get some... I hope part of we're gonna, what we're going to get from today's passage and from this sermon is that it is okay. God is in charge and things are going to be okay and we should continue to to live out the gospel and to share the gospel even in places and and with people that are resistant and hard-hearted like that hard-packed soil. So we are in a journey through the gospel of Mark and today we come to chapter 4. And let's look there. It was just read... But let's turn our attention there. We're going to see a variety, uh, three different sections, more or less, in this uh, passage. Let's just pick it up straight away in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, that is, by the Sea of Galilee. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So we have here in verse 1 the setting. I want you to have this picture in your mind. Uh, Mark has been highlighting this emphasis, this emphasis of these massive crowds. And the picture that we should have in our minds that we have from verse 1 is that there are so many people who are flocking to hear Jesus and to get near him particularly for healing and for his casting out of demons the crowds are so massive that he can't stand there and speak he has to get in a boat and and go out to shore just a little bit to address this crowd now i've said this again and i'll probably say it many many times one of the reasons that mark is emphasizing this is because of the stumbling block of the cross as we read mark's gospel we need to not only think about being in the year 2016, but we have to think about the first century reader. The first century reader that didn't experience all of these things, that didn't witness the miracles, that didn't see the crowds. Mark is thinking of that reader as he writes. And the message of the gospel is that the savior of the world, the king of kings, died on a cross, which for us we think of as a a, symbol of Christianity, but the first century reader thinks of this as an execution device. That this man is a convicted felon who was on death row and was crucified in public. And he is the Messiah and the Savior. This is a tough thing to communicate to the reader that hasn't experienced this. So this is part of why in verse 1 Mark is emphasizing these huge crowds that have come to him. This was no ordinary criminal. This was no ordinary person who died on a cross. He was no criminal at all, of course. So that's verse one. Moving on, verse two. Uh, so, So we have this setting, huge crowd on the Sea of Galilee. He's in the boat. Verse two, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, and then we go into this first parable. First section of this parable. And the first section of this parable, in verses 3 through 8, really, is understanding the story of the parable. This is what we're going to look at in, in these next few verses. Now, a parable is a simple story where, for that original audience, there's a, there's a known meaning, a very simple story, but then there's a more profound meaning, a spiritual meaning, where there are these things in the, in the simple story symbolize more complicated, more in-depth spiritual things. So the first thing we want to do is understand this simple story, this parable that Jesus tells. Let's look at it from the boat. Uh, He says, listen, the NIV has at the very beginning, listen, hear this, pay attention. There are layers to what he is about to teach. There is sophistication and nuance and subtlety to what he's about to teach. And in fact, I'm going to shift over so that we're all on the same page and look at the New American Standard Bible, uh, beginning in verses 4 through 7, as we look at this parable together. Did I get all of verse 3 there? Um, Yeah, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed, verse 3 says, and then we pick it up in verse 4, and it came about that he was sowing some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. Now I'm not going to go through everything I read this week, but I was reading a lot, and oh my gosh, there is a lot of debate about this parable. And one of the things that come up from critics... Who criticize the Bible and who criticize even this parable say this simple story doesn't even really make sense because farmers don't sow seeds along roads where the ground is compacted. Farmers don't sow seeds in places where the ground is rocky. They don't sow seeds where thorns are going to come up. The basic farmer knows, I, I don't know a lot about farming, but even I know that's not where you farm, right? So this is one of the criticisms of this parable. And this criticism actually brings insight to the reader who wants to see what is exactly going on here. And so I've highlighted a few words here. Now, the New American Standard version of the Bible, the one that I have here on the screen, when there are words that are implied but are not actually in the text, this particular translation puts those words in italics. So you see the word seed in verse 4 and in verse 5 and in verse 7 are in italics. So that means those words are implied. They're not actually in the Greek New Testament of the Bible. They're implied there. It's exactly what it means, but those words aren't there. So there's significance in the other words that just precede in our English translations the word seed, these other words, some, other, and other. And each of these words are singular. They're singular. So you could translate this. uh, One seed, one implied seed fell uh, alongside the road. One implied seed fell around the rocky ground. And one implied seed fell among the thorns. In other words, the careful reader is going to see this isn't a typical thing that's going on, and it's one seed that is going in these places. And then we come to verse 8. Again, the word seeds is implied, and other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So the, the point here is Jesus is emphasizing in this parable that he has invented to communicate a variety of deep spiritual truths. He is, he is intending to communicate and for the reader to see this emphasis between the single seeds that go in these places where farmers don't normally farm and there's no fruit that comes to contrast this with the seed that goes in the good soil and where you have a harvest that would be expected 30, 60, and 100 fold. So there's a big comparison between the the single seeds where you don't farm and the three or more seeds some of the commentators say this is plural here, indicating that he's actually communicating there's one seed here, one seed here, one seed here, and each of those three types. And now there's three seeds planted in this soil, and each of those seeds have a great yield and a great uh, crop. Are you with me? Okay, good. At least one of you is with me. I know we're quiet. White people are quiet. Um, I, and I'm, I still just can't get over it. And so I, you know, many of you have heard me use this line before. I, I'm waiting for the black church in the Tahoe area to call me to serve there, and I'm probably going to go when they when they call me, <laughs> so I get interaction. Uh, but here we are. So so you got the you got the basic story. You got the basic story of this parable, right? So this simple story. So the, the the ancient reader, the first century reader, recognizes, yeah, farmers don't normally farm there. So so there's something more, and we'll come to that in a minute. But the main thing is in this in this. Uh, in, in understanding the story of the parable that, that Jesus is drawing an emphasis between the good soil and these single soils and these single seeds and this soil that isn't good uh, for farming. Okay, so that's scene one. He's in the boat. He teaches this parable. And you've got to figure when he finishes teaching this, almost everybody, I think probably 100% of people are, are like scratching their heads that, that they don't know What he's talking about. And and we see that as we we move on to verses 9 through 12. And the setting changes here. Look at verse 9. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, there's some people who are going to get this, but there are some people who are not going to get this parable. And some of you are going to have ears and some of you don't. Verse 10. When he was alone... The twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. They want him to explain this simple story. They, they, they hear the simple story and they, they kind of get the simple story, but they have no idea what he's, what he's driving at. Verse 11, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, to you plural. So the setting has changed now. He's no longer in the boat. He's no longer in the boat. Verse 10 tells us he's alone with the 12 and with others, with other believers. And they are asking him, they're confused. And so he tells them the mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Yikes. Did you hear that? This sounds harsh. This this sounds very harsh. And particularly in the year 2016 in the culture that we live in where everyone gets a trophy and everyone everything is fair. I mean th- this this sounds offensive. Jesus is distinguishing now between this crowd that was listening to him as he told the the simple part of the story. Now he's just got the twelve, the apostles around him and some other believers. And he says, the mystery has been given to you. And then his explanation, he quotes Isaiah at the end, saying, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So a couple things here as we as we process this. So Verses three through eight, we're understanding the story of the parable. Now, as we're reading this carefully, we're understanding there's a couple different audiences that Jesus is speaking to. The first audience is everybody. And like I said, I think everyone was more or less confused. We understand this little story, but we have no idea what its spiritual meaning is, what he's driving at. And so, thankfully for us, he explains that in just a moment. But right now, we're dealing with this nuance of this second audience. And one commentator writes this, says Jesus teaches in parables both as judgment against those outside and as a means of instruction for those inside his newly formed messianic community of faith. Now this isn't popular, this isn't fun to teach. But Jesus Jesus is God and he understands people's hearts. And so this parable is having a twofold purpose, and one of the purposes of this parable is for judgment for those who want to kill Jesus. Another commentator writes this. He says, Mark uses the parable of the seeds, or the parable of the four soils, as I'm calling it, as a parable about parables to explain the rejection of Jesus by some people and the acceptance of him by others. So part of what is going on here, I want to suggest part of what is going on here is Jesus is, is Mark the gospel writer just as the maybe the biggest thing or one of the biggest things he's doing is, is defending that this savior was on death row was a convicted felon and died on a cross and yet he is the savior he is the son of god but there's another thing that that he uh, is is defending here and what he's defending here in this section with these two audiences, is that there's not going to be universal acceptance of me. Everyone isn't going to follow me. And Jesus is aware of this. Not only is he aware of it, but he's speaking judgment upon the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that we saw in previous weeks who actually are already plotting to kill him. And we saw, it was last week, wasn't it, where we saw that they attributed the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus to Beelzebub. That was last week. So these guys, are, these guys are toast. These guys are toast. And Jesus is speaking a word of judgment upon them. He hasn't called us to do that. We don't know people's hearts. We don't know that they are receiving the wrath of God instead of grace. But Jesus does. He knows this. And this is part of his purpose in teaching this parable. Again, this is very countercultural to our day in our world. This is what the Bible teaches. This is true. This is what Jesus did. So he's quoting Isaiah 6 here in verse 12, that they may be seeing but never perceiving and never hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. He's quoting Isaiah 6, and so we need to understand also what was happening a little bit back in Isaiah when Isaiah uh, had these words. Jesus is, is using Isaiah's words here, uh, he, here as he's speaking. And so one commentator writes this, he says, and remember what the punishment was in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. God was saying, do you like idols? If you like them so much, then I'm going to make you become like them. Idols cannot see, hear, or understand nor do they have any spiritual life, and you are going to become as spiritually insensitive and inanimate as the idols that you worship. This is the message that Isaiah was preaching in Isaiah 6. And now Jesus is preaching this message to the believers, but really the, the target audience here are the scribes and the Pharisees. They are the ones that want to kill him. They are the ones who are being equated with the recipients of this in Isaiah 6, they are, being, they are the equivalent of idol worshipers. They are idol worshipers. And the idol that they're worshiping is their own pride and religious power. And Jesus is speaking judgment upon them in part through this parable. And he's explaining this in a private setting now. So the same commentator goes on and he writes this. He says, Now, now being Mark chapter 4, now Israel of Jesus' day, that is the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders, was becoming as spiritually dead as the human-made, stale, empty tradition to which they had committed themselves. Their dead tradition was as empty of life as were the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness to which Jesus directly compared the religious leaders. So this is not a popular uh, teaching, a teaching that harmonizes with our our culture of of everything has to be fair. And so we project our ideas of fairness upon God. So we understand, I think, the story of the parable. And we're understanding now the different audiences of the parable and and getting somewhat of, of of a nuance before Jesus actually explains it. But let me just say one more thing about Th- th- this this hard teaching where Jesus would say something like, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. You know, the reality is that every single human being deserves justice. Every single one of us has sinned against an infinitely holy God. And so perfect justice would be an infinite amount of punishment for that sin, not because our sins were so infinitely terrible, my sins or your sins, but because God is so infinitely holy that his justice is meted out eternally. And that's what every one of us deserves. And this is about as countercultural as it gets. This is the truth of the gospel, that we are all sinners and fall short. And some are not going to turn, and Jesus knows that. And so when we read things that we don't really like like this in, in the scriptures, things that, that we, we kind of wish weren't there, we have to ask God to help us to have his perspective. And to change, because if we don't, we run into we, we, we end up running down a course of of liberalism and and of, of avoiding passages like this and avoiding all of the hard edges of the scriptures and the hard edges of the gospel, the truths. And so we end up um, we, we end up with something that isn't really Christianity when you ignore the judgment of God, the judgment of God upon the scribes and the Pharisees and those who have hard, hard hearts. And so, liberalism is really something other than Christianity. This off-quoted uh, sentence from Richard Niebuhr says, "Those that would ignore this these kinds of truths have invented a god with a god without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. The cross is no longer necessary for redemption. We're all going to be saved if we." just reject these hard things in Scripture. We reject the doctrine of hell. We reject the justice of God. We reject the idea that these scribes and Pharisees are not going to turn. They're not going to be forgiven. They have attributed the work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to Bub. They are, they are guilty. So we understand the story. We understand uh, the audiences of the parable as he switches. And then he actually, in this same setting, explains the deeper meaning of the parable to the twelve and to the uh, other believers that are there with them. So let's take a look at that now, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So here we have this parable finally explained by Jesus. Whereas the farmer represents Jesus. The sower or the farmer represents what Jesus is doing. His primary mission early in Mark's gospel is not to heal the sick, And to cast out demons, although he's doing that because of his compassion, his primary thing is to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of God. We saw this all the way going back to chapter 1. So he is is the one that is sowing these seeds. And the seed is, represents the word of God or the gospel. So we see that in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Uh, The word, uh, the seed represents the word. And then there are these four types of, of soils which represent the four types of people or the four types of human hearts in the various ways that people respond to the gospel. And the first way that people respond to the gospel is the way that the scribes and the Pharisees have with hard hearts. They're like that compacted soil on the road. They hear the gospel message, whether it's through the preaching of the word, something like this, or whether it's from a friend that loves them. But, but they just have no consideration for it. They just move away from it. In our our own day, hardcore uh, atheists, uh, people who are hardcore committed to to Islam or to New Ageism or whatever, you you, you know people like this. They have hard hearts and as you share the gospel with them, it's very clear they have no interest whatsoever and they just, just move away. Now, we don't have omniscience like Jesus, so we don't necessarily know that's that's where they're going to remain, but we know that there are people in this condition, and we all have seen people in that condition. So this first, uh, there's four types of people representing the four types of soil. The first one in the first entry context are the scribes and the religious leaders. Let's move on to verse 15. It says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, say, no, oh, we've already done that. We're on verse 16. Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. These these are the people that we get all excited about in the church. But since they have no root, there's no foundation, there's nothing there. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. If you've been a Christian for some period of time, you've probably seen this. You've seen Christian, we, we don't have a lot of persecution, but we have a lot of trouble in our world. And James 1 says that trials are there to refine us and to grow us and to shape us in Christ. And so genuine believers, when trials or persecution or hardships come, we, we, we don't like them when we, we may be rebellious in the beginning, it may take a long time. But, but if we have a, a biblical mindset, if we have a biblical understanding, we recognize that these trials and sufferings are there for a our, for our purpose. To, to, to refine us and to shape us. But for some people, this reveals that they are not his. And they fall away. This is the second type of person or the second type of soil. And then the third, the third type um, is verse 18. Still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word out, choke the gospel out. So some people... They, they, they make a profession of faith, but then, as time goes on, we recognize that their their real functional God is wealth or desires for the praise of man or or their job or whatever it is. so this is the third type of soil, the third type of of person that exists all of this. Going back now to the original story, all of this is here in part for you and I. I think one of the things that we should take away from Mark chapter 4, from this sermon, from this passage, is that God wants us to share the gospel in all of these different types of soils, with all of these different types of people. In other words, we shouldn't be looking, oh, is this someone that I should share the gospel with or not? No, we should preach the word in season and out of season. uh, Paul says to Timothy in his letter. And this is part of the reason why Jesus, I think, sets up this story, going back to the original one, why would a farmer be sowing in places where he wouldn't sow seed? We're called to, to, to preach the gospel to everyone and everywhere. Matthew Henry puts it this way, in the great field of the church, the word of God is dispensed to all, to everybody. So this is, I, I hope this isn't too discouraging of a sermon. Some of you may be discouraged out there. There's, there, there's a lot of hard stuff in this, in this passage. But at the end of the day, one of the hopeful things that we should take away is that we should take the gospel to everyone. We don't know what kind of soil is in their hearts, if you will. We don't know. And we shouldn't give up on people, and we should be taking the gospel and dispensing it to everyone. And God gets glory through the preaching of His Word, through the individual personal sharing of His Word, even when people don't come to know Christ. I came across a, a story about this uh, in our men's group. We're reading, I read a book. We just finished it, and I came across this guy, Penn Gillette. How many of you know who this guy is? Oh, you, so you guys are a lot more worldly than I am. So I, I had no idea. I didn't know who this guy was until uh, he came across in this book. That, that was a joke, right? Um, atheist, magician, author. Uh, he was mentioned in this book that we read in our men's study. And he tells a story about someone sharing the gospel with him. Uh, th- this guy is a New York Times best-selling author. One of his, his books is called God Know, Signs You May Already Be an Atheist and Other Magical Tales. But I'm going to let him share with you. We have about a four-minute video. Go ahead and bring the lights down and roll this video. I want you to, sh- I want you to listen to him sharing about a time when someone share the gospel with him.
2: I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, uh, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy probably about my age. He had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it, I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote on the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me. Uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know... There's no God. And one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man... That was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say.
1: I think we just got admonished by an atheist for not preaching the gospel. But he was loved by that guy, this Gideon. given him a Gideon. I'm assuming this guy's a Gideon, but whatever. He had a Gideon Bible. Um, he waited patiently. After a show, he does these shows in, in Las Vegas. He waited patiently after a show for everybody to leave, to be kind and gentle. And, and he, he didn't need to go through the gospel. This guy knows the gospel. But he was just there to love him. And I would say, from our limited perspective, this atheist, Penn Jillette, is that how you say his name? He, 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 he looks like that compacted soil. But we don't know that, and man, I just—I've been praying for this guy this week. Do you see? Does it seem like the Lord's working in his life that he—that he—I mean—that he went home and recorded that video? I mean, he had to know we're going to use this as ammo, right? <laughs> I mean, he went home and recorded this video about how this, in our language, godly man in his word language, a proselytizer was nice, uh, came to him. So, part of the takeaway from Mark chapter four, is that we are to take the gospel to atheists, to people who are responding right away, and even to, to people that are gonna respond genuinely and remain faithful for the remainder of their lives. Let's look, we have the best for last here, just a couple verses left and we'll, and we'll finish up. So the, the final type of soil, there are four soils, four types of human hearts in this parable. Verse 20. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. The emphasis in this parable is on the fruitfulness of genuine believers versus the emptiness of those who end up not being genuine believers. And, and the fruit of genuine believers is not just people who come to know Christ, but all of the things that we do that bring glory to God. The whole reason that he created the universe and created us is so that he would get glory, that we would display his character in simple ways like waiting outside of a show to show love to a man who's, who's a, a, a bold, worldly atheist. God gets glory from that. And so the, the thing we, we need to take away from this sermon at the end here is that God's will for you and for me is to produce a crop that is bearing the fruit of the Spirit and loving our neighbors 30, 60, or 100 times. This is what happens in the life of believers. Matthew Henry writes, Fruit is the thing that God expects and requires from those that enjoy the gospel fruit according to the seed, a temper of mind and a course of life agreeable to the gospel, Christian graces daily exercised, Christian duties duly performed. This is fruit and it will abound to our account. This is what he's calling us to. He's calling us, church, to a great yield in our lives and to do simple things, to love others, to to bring our Father in heaven glory and to leave it to him about what kind of soil they are, what, they're, what kind of people they are, it's ultimately God's sovereign sovereignty that, that brings this about. And he, for some reason, He's chosen to use us to be faithful displayers and sharers of His gospel. I'll share one final story with you. Uh, this week, I had the opportunity to visit our most uh, senior saint here, uh, Betty. Betty's uh, down here in the front row. Those of you that don't know Betty, she's 100 years old and a few months Uh, And just what a wonderful thing to spend time with her. She shared with me as we were talking about, you know, what what, what do you talk about when you're just a a young kid like me talking with someone who's uh, nearly, uh, who's over 100 years old. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, what does the Lord have me here for? I've had such this long life and we began to talk and she began to share with me and she shared with me about something she did at Christmas time. She lives in an apartment on her own. I mean, she come. I, I go to her apartment, and she gets out of her apartment and walks to let me in the secure door. I mean, she's she's quite a she's quite a quite a lady. Um, I, I'm I'm impressed with you, uh, Betty. But she shared with me a story. Uh, one of her neighbors who moved in, just a young person like 70 or 80 or something like that, moved into the apartment, and she's not really uh, gelling. Not really. Um, Not a lot of people are connecting with her. She's not developing a lot of friendships. And so Betty decides to get her some cookies. And she takes her some cookies. And this story came up in our conversation because this woman was so impacted by Betty's love for her. She took her to the movies this week. Betty went and saw Sully with her neighbor this week. Is that cool? I hope when I am 100 years old, I am displaying the gospel to my next-door neighbors and going to the movies Uh, with them months later as a thank you for that. What Betty is doing is she is demonstrating that the heart of who she is, that that the gospel landed on good soil and 30, 60, even 100 times the glory of God is coming out in the way that she lives and by God's grace, that's what he wants for every one of us here for God to get glory through simple things that we do, whether it's sharing the gospel or just displaying the gospel in some way. This is what he's after in our lives. Let's bow our heads and ask him to do that in us and through us. Father, as we submit ourselves to your word, we acknowledge, at least I acknowledge, Lord, there's some things in here that are harsh, that seem harsh and hard. Why would you say, lest they turn and be forgiven? So, Lord, help us to think biblically and recognize you as a sovereign king, and that your ways are beyond our ways, and that you are perfectly loving and benevolent and just. Help us to understand you more and more through the revealed will of God in the written word of God, Lord. I pray that at the end of this sermon now that we would be taking away the, the confidence through the power of the Holy Spirit that Each of us here has the ability to yield a ton of fruit where you get glory and allow us to leave different people and different soils to your sovereign plan. We thank you, God, that we have ears to hear and we pray that we would be just very sensitive in listening to your word and to your Holy Spirit as we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
2: sometimes because of the, the, re, the rejection by some of the gospel,
1: the, the joy of what Christ has done can be taken away, sometimes just for a season, sometimes for a longer period of time. But I think it's important for us to, to recognize over and over again uh, the joy that we should find in what Christ has done for us, um, the celebration that we should have because of his sacrifice, redeeming us and and once again being empowered to to share that to share the love of Christ with somebody else and uh, this next song really